And now back to our interview. Culture is not in a textbook. It's not rules that you have to follow to create a culture. Culture is a reflection of our people inside of our company. And so we all need to hold ourselves responsible for creating the culture that we want to be a part of. You spoke also about the group mentality, you know, like a lot of people meeting on the golf course and and having those groups. And I would like to tap into that conversation a little bit, but I do want to open the floor uh, because I'm not sure that we got it recorded. If David wants to just explain um, that program with GE so that listeners will and, and the community here on Clubhouse will hear what that's about. Um, I'm t- totally fine with David jumping in on that. David, the floor is yours. All right. Oh, it's scary. Um, it's a very long topic, to be honest with you. But I have one question first before I get to, uh, to, to that topic. You know, Shelly, do you see this as a, and this may be a weird question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, is this like an affirmative action versus an equal opportunity scenario in any way? Because if you remember when I was a kid growing up, my first job was at uh, Bell Laboratories, which was a research company. And a guy pulled me over and tried to explain to me the difference because I didn't understand that growing up where I grew up in New York. I didn't even understand that concept. But here, obviously, that was a different kind of a population. But do the same things apply, I guess? And the lessons learned, do they apply to this kind of a scenario? Yeah, it's very interesting. It is definitely not affirmative action because it is not targeted to any specific group. I would say it's about equitable action giving everyone, you know, there's a difference between equity and equality. And so I don't know if anyone has ever talked about the differences, so I'll just give you a a shortcut. Equality is equal opportunity, but equity is giving everyone the same starting point because we all are starting at different places. So imagine if you were at a concert and you, I'm five foot three and you're six foot four and we're standing on the floor. We paid the same amount for the ticket, but I am still much lower at seeing the stage. You're much higher. So, but if you gave me a stool, we would be at an equal place. So it's giving everyone the same opportunity regardless of where they're starting. So it's giving everyone the same starting point. So I think that the proximity ship that I talked about is an equitable action where it's giving everyone the the opportunity to choose who they want to meet with. And, um, and then the person that is going to be met with is receiving anyone that has opted in to be with them. And it also is equitable because you don't have to have that face-to-face hard, you know, hello, will you meet with me? You get, you just put yourself on a calendar you know, you're giving yourself that permission. And then you have to figure out how you want to spend that 15 minutes in a valuable way. So it's a value exchange. So I I actually don't think it's affirmative action. I actually think it's equitable action if we're going to create a new lexicon. Excellent. And the only reason I asked that question is because, I mean, can you imagine, I remember getting this lecture when I was, I guess I was 21 years old, and I still remember like yesterday about this gentleman giving me a lesson about a baseball game. And he said, you know, in the past history of America or the world, um, you know, he was talking specifically about African-Americans. He said, you know, the, the non-African-Americans got 100 outs per inning 
and the African-Americans got one out per inning, and it's a nine-inning baseball game. And now it's the ninth inning, and now we're going to say everybody's equal. Everybody gets three outs each. And he explained to me at the time, and to be honest with you, it's, it makes sense to me, that you have to make some corrections sometimes, which is why the affirmative piece, that you just can't open the doors equally because there's so much past, like you explained earlier, there's so much past that has been done in an improper manner that there's a correction. And the correction piece, to me personally, kind of leads it towards a little bit of the affirmative side, but just a comment again. No, listen, so true. And and that's why you're. it, it is sort of affirmative, but I'd love to use the word more equitable because no one wants to be a quota. I don't want you to fill the seat at the table with um, with me because I'm filling a quota. You're filling the seat because I'm the best, but that you're giving me the equal chance to have equal opportunity. If not, I would just be looked over because I'm the minority, you know, in, in the room. And so the minority is usually the invisible. And that's why I talk a lot about power of the pack. A woman alone has power. Collectively, we have impact. When we are a herd, you know, when there were so many of us, you can't miss us. You can't ignore us. But when you're one, I don't even know that it's it's intentional. It's just um, easier to be invisible or not seen when you, you know, are one inside of a huge crowd of many. So, so I'll take that and segue it into Six Sigma now. So, um, and Six Sigma is one of many processes, but it's a very good process because it's repeatable and it has a lot of metrics. And anytime you have a process with lots of metrics and it's repeatable, it's successful, at least in my experience. So, what I would do as a corporation, and you could go to corporations or organizations and try to help them identify what is a success criteria for their. First of all, what's the mission statement for the company? But besides that, below that, what do the people have to have or be able, capability-wise, to help satisfy that mission statement? And then once you can categorize that level of, of expertise that's required, it then makes it much easier for a woman or for anybody else to get that job. It has to be very specific skill sets that they're looking for. And what's interesting about that, if I was doing that, and what I did do at Northrop, actually, was that women are much, much better at certain kinds of thinking. And you have to bring that data to the executive staff who are doing the hiring to make them aware. Because a lot of times, the older men are not aware of some of these uh, data points that show what women do better. And once they understand that, and you put that into the hiring process as a, a very important, like for instance, I mean, everybody says HR, but it's much more than HR, managing engineers. Engineers are very difficult people to manage. They're all extremely smart. They're very stochastic. They're very, you know, they're very number oriented. Women have a way, a motherly way of, of, of making them feel comfortable and involved and, and part of the organization when men usually are very hard and very about, the, you know, the, the outcome only. You didn't give me this outcome, you're not doing a good job. But they don't know how to nurture, Right. So nurturing is really the important attribute of a woman right now that a man does not have and won't have for a very long time. So bring those skill sets in that you know women do well, identify them as important metrics for hiring of those key, key roles, 
because once a woman's in a key role, she understands and she understands what is needed below her. And she usually will be hiring a very equal staff at that point. So that's a small example. I mean, there's a lot of examples we can go into, but that's one example. David and Shelley, I'd love to throw out this to you. So it's what I have learned along the way is that when a position is posted, that, and again, this is not to bash men, but if a man looks at a specific position, whether he is, um, has the background for, you know, for all of the job requirements or not, they apply to it. They're like, I can do anything. I am the perfect person for this job I'm applying women have a tendency to look at the list of requirements and if there's one or two boxes they can't check off they don't feel as though they're qualified or will be seen and will not apply for that job i don't know if you've seen that shelly or david or if you could speak to that yeah and also to neil can we bring up liz um liz is liz i hope you're still there Um, for sure and Mafalda wants to um, jump in. Liz is a coach to so many women on this topic, but um, just to to reinforce, we call it the imposter syndrome. If there's 10 skills needed for a job, if a guy could do six out of 10, he's like, yep, I got this. If a woman can't do 10 out of 10, you know, she thinks, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not qualified and opts out. So my girlfriend, Wendy Clark says, and I'll use a a bad word because it's just so true. You just have to shut that bitch up in your head because both men and women have the imposter syndrome. Women just, uh, men just ignore the voice and women let that voice get louder. No one knows how to do the 10 out of 10. So you got to fake it till you make it. And then it becomes part of your new, you know, lexicon, vocabulary, way of working, way of being. And these are um, real challenges. I actually just coached a woman um, earlier on imposter syndrome where she thought that she was only good at what she did because of the company that she worked for. And I told her that she is a, a, a false parachute, that she is the reason she's successful and how she built her brand and created the relationships. It wasn't because of the company that might have been a door opener, but people don't hire companies. They work with people they like and they trust. That's called relationships. So that is a very real syndrome that we experience and how we are all helping each other get past that and also to, to make our invisible visible. We've never reinforced the soft skills, empathy, compassion, vulnerability, passion. And now we find that those are the greatest qualities of leaders today. And when we look at the impact of COVID, the greatest leaders today have been countries run by women. We are nurturers by nature. We put everyone front and center to take care of everyone. And when you bring, when you create a culture for everyone, where everyone feels safe, everyone feels secure, everyone feels like they belong, that's when you start seeing diversity work at its best, where we unite on commonality, but we 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 have our differences that we showcase as our greatest strength. And we don't just follow legacy leadership of the masculine, but we allow the feminine to rise. And that's, that's where true change happens. I agree. That is so well said. You know, I've, I've, often felt that EQ standing for emotional and empathy quotient are just truly needed in the selection of leadership. Like you need to have a balance of that because I actually think it's a superpower 
and opens the door for uh, creating community in a company. And I truly believe if culture is the strategy, I think the strategy is community. Yeah, I mean, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So, you know, that is very clear. I think Mafalda came on to, to share a thought. I did. Thank you, Shelley. I admire everything that you do and that you stand for. And it's always such a pleasure to hear you speak. I'm so happy that you're on Clubhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, Holly, Holly, thank you for creating this space. Um, I, um, as, a, as you, you and you women um, delegate for the Commission on the Status of Women, I've always observed how you include the SDGs and SDG five in in a lot of your talks and in 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 different podcasts where where i've heard you speak or different articles sorry i'm on the street in london or different articles that i've seen written by you and my question was do you find it a serious effort to include the goals in 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 your narrative and in what you speak and do you see people picking up on it slowly I mean, ideally, would love to see the SDGs spoken and included in, in all industries and, and by everyone in their daily lives, right? But I was just wondering if you've seen an increase in, in the goals being in, included in, um, in discussion and just in, in general talk. Thank you. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you, Mafalda. So good to, to see you and thank you for um, following everything we're doing. I Listen... I think the SDGs are a framework, and I think that they are the most powerful framework we have seen to, A, unite the world on commonality, that we need to, you know, truly create the actions around the framework. So I think that we are seeing an increased awareness of the global goals. I think we are seeing um, a lot of education around why they are our global goals. So what the challenges are, what the problems are, how big the the, the gaps are. What we need to work on now, and, and that's why I talk about moving from allyship to activistship or activism or whatever the opposite, you know, the next step of ally. Ally is someone that has sympathy or empathy, but an activist is someone that rolls up their sleeve and gets stuff done and holds themselves accountable for change. And oftentimes people think that the change has to be so big that we get afraid and we go backwards. A change could be a small step, but it's about a step forward, right or wrong. It's about moving from admiring the problems to creating the solutions for change and the measurement for accountability. And I was... um, I talk about Tony Robbins a lot because he taught me something that I will never forget. He taught me two things. One is how the FQ is really developing a very important relationship with UN women. He said that most partnerships are always where it's a circle. So imagine FQ and another circle, UN women. He says that people think about partnerships like um, the Olympics, the circle between them that integrates one circle with the other. He says, that's not a true partnership because you're just regurgitating what you do and putting it together and saying you're doing something. He says a true partnership is FQ, UN women, and then a circle above where it's what you are going to bring. What are you going to take from what you do and put it into this new circle? What is UN women going to do? Put it in this new circle. And how are you now going to do this together? So it's forming a new 
partnership, which to me is action. And by the way, you have to break your circle to put something above into a new circle. And so it's very intentionally, intentionality, consciously taking that big giant step forward where one plus one is not two, but one plus one is 11. The second thing he taught me, which I will never forget, we were stuck on an airplane for hours and hours together. And this was over 20 years ago. We were both in coach and he's such a big guy. You know, he was kind of sitting in my seat. (laughs) He put up his arm thing and was sitting next to me. And on a piece of paper, on a napkin, he drew this. He said, I was coming from Procter & Gamble 20 years ago where women were definitely not, you know, leaders in the workplace at the time. Men couldn't even wear earrings in their ear. And I said, he says, you seem distraught. What what's going on? He was a stranger to me. I said, you know, I just came from Procter and Gamble and I just wonder why status quo is the accepted and people are so afraid of change and doing something new. And he said, I'll tell you why. And I said, "Okay." he says, because most people think that the problem is too big. They make it one big problem. He says, imagine you're in a hundred story building. When there's an elevator and you're on in the lobby, you just push 100, you shoot your way up to the top. But he says, if the elevator's broken, you have to take the steps. Ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. You get to the 20th step and there's red tape. What are you going to do? Go back or find a way to zig or zag because you're going to have to get creative and find a solution. So I think that, and then when you get to the 100th floor, you look back and say, wow, look how far I've come. You can take three steps at a time. You can take one giant step or you have, you might have to take a hundred steps, but you, you can always find a solution. And so I think that's with global goal five. First of all, I am the proudest, you know, advocate, amplifier, activator, you know, of global goal five, gender equality. And of course, it's not just about um, more equity for women, but it is about economic empowerment and education and violence and, you know, all of the the different steps inside of Global Goal 5. There are nine core, you know, 5.1, 5.2. And so if we could collectively work on the different aspects of closing Global 5 gaps, we can completely make the world a better place. And how do we make the world a better place? By working together in unity for change and, you know, really delivering on the ROI return on impact. So thank you for everything you are doing um, at UN Women with the global goals, with the education, with the awareness, and also with the action steps um, to move forward to drive and close the gaps. Thank you so much. Alyssa, it's a joy, such a joy to hear you talk. Thank you. Thank you, Mafalda. Thank you, Shelley. Um, oh, I'm sorry, David, did you want to interject? Um, well, it's amazing to hear what you say always, but I have one comment that's still bothering me from earlier. Uh, what Shelley said about COVID has really pushed this whole effort backwards of many, many years. And why it bothers me is that, you know, usually you have evolutionary changes, you have revolutionary changes. Obviously, this past year has been a revolutionary change in the way companies operate and work remotely, et cetera, et cetera. I was hoping, to be honest with you, maybe my naiveness, but I was hoping that this remote operating, and companies are not going to go back to normal. Most companies will never go back to normal. So I was hoping this remoteness of how companies will operate will actually help uh, the women uh, uh, move up into the into the workplace because they can, you know, people that were staying home before because they had to balance their home life 
now if the workplace is more at home, then I was hoping that more women could get involved with the uh, workplaces that they couldn't get involved with before due to this revolutionary change. You know, I, I mean, that was just my thought. I think that it has been a revolution and unfortunately it's cut off a lot of people at their knees because of the invisible work that a, a lot of women um, have at the at home. So it, that's a big part of the setback, I believe. Um, but I know Shelly would, uh, she's back. So let's, let's have her reply. I just wanted to say, you know, thank you, you know, to everyone jumping in. We will flexibility and work from home and, and, and time blocking and predictable flexibility and all the things we're talking about will go a long way to getting more women back into the workplace, into the office. The biggest transformation is going to be kids back in school. And so w once kids are going back to school, that will also go a long way to helping because mental health is at an all time low. Uh, suffering severe, you know, um, anxiety for, you know, having to multitask on steroids to the level that we, we are. Um, so that will help a lot, having parents come back to helping with caregiving. Um, but, but the UN talks a lot about this, the care economy and the digital divide, um, which hopefully we're going to start calling the, the you know, digital um, equalizer, you know, if we can start giving more women in all communities access to, you know, internet and access to in-home offices and access to childcare and access to all of the things that are preventing us from um, being, bringing our best selves to the, to the workplace. So hopefully all of these things are going to be, um, you know, amplified with a um, um, what's it called? Uh, uh, what is this called? A magnifying glass. We're going to amplify and, and bring visibility to some of the greatest challenges that we have that are holding us back and preventing us um, from thriving in the workplace. Holly, I'm going to leave this to you. I just wanted to say thank you, everyone, for including me in this conversation and for you including yourselves. Um, your voices matter. Your opinions are amazing. Um, your thought leadership, so welcome. Um, and, and Holly, for you really hosting this conversation in such an unplugged way, um, I just really am so grateful. Thank you, Shelley. You were just amazing and, and had so much to share. Um, and I thank you, Shelley. You're a star. Thank you, everyone, so much. And I want to thank everybody that came on in a pinch in the last second. Uh, David Woroboff, I want to thank you. And Mafalda Boria for uh, contributing your voice to this conversation. And a huge thank you to Larry Roberts, who saved my technical uh, problem that I had at the start. So thank you. Thank everybody. you. Thank you very much. My You're first welcome. experience on my first experience on Clubhouse was a good one, so thank you. Oh, good. Well, I hope you'll be back because I do many rooms. I enjoyed your voice, so thank, oh, thank you, you, everybody. Amazing. Thank you so much. I'm often asked, "Does my business need a podcast?" My answer is yes. That nothing else is the fast track into thought leadership and being established and seen as the expert in your industry as podcasting. What's increasingly evident is that it's a branding machine. It kicks doors open for you to have conversations with leaders. It creates a pathway to partnerships and connections on a deeper level. Social media cannot begin to touch this level of traction. 
You will not be your industry's best kept secret. Your ideas and business will have global reach. The added benefit will be tons of content you can repurpose across social media easily. No more writing blogs. It also makes your sales force much more agile. Having a podcast is a great lead generation tool. It's a pull marketing tool to bring people to your website, people that are interested in your product. So nothing works faster, not to mention it's great for your search engine optimization. So step into your power. Go to hollyshannon.com to launch your podcast now. Thank you.